Good morning. You all look very pleasing to the eye today. I'm glad you were able to join us. Uh, I'm going to talk about something this morning. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about uh, death. Don't remember exactly what we talked about, but uh, I learned something over the past few weeks. I've been uh, uh, taking an opposite position to a Presbyterian preacher that I know, and uh, I took one view. It had to do with uh, where do we go when we die, uh, and I've always uh, believed we go to uh, Hades, independent of uh, heaven and hell. Uh, and I had this discussion with this fellow, and uh, I believe I, I've been wrong in my belief. And uh, since I have taught you this before, I'd like to at least give you a, another view that I think is correct, but uh, if you disagree, that's okay. This is one of those matters that's not going to cause us to lose our souls. Uh, it's just we're going to learn something we didn't know before. But uh, I don't ever want to lead you astray, so let me show you what uh, I got on my mind. Questions came up about death. Uh, where do we go after death? Uh, will the departed saved be with Jesus? This is what the question is really over. Uh, will we be with him? Will we be with God when we die? Or do we have to wait until the end of time uh, if we are not taken at the end of time. Uh, what I've always believed, what I've <clears throat> taught for over 40 years, I guess now, uh, is that when a person dies, they go to either paradise or torment in the Hadean world. This, uh, this section, those of you who are familiar with my teaching, uh, you'll know that paradise and torment are both in the Hadean world. Hades means unseen, the place of the unseen. Uh, in uh, Elizabethan English, they would say things like, I hellied my potatoes. Uh, by that, they mean they buried them out of sight where you can't see them with your naked eye. Uh, and that's what this, this term means, Hades, the place of the unseen. We can't see the spirits that have departed because they're in a place that's unseen to us. Well, paradise and torment both would be in that place if my understanding of Hades had been correct, but I don't think I really was correct. So let me show you what I thought, what I believe, what I taught, uh, and then compare it to what I have learned since then. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7, of talking about death, uh, Solomon said, uh, then the dust, the body, will return to the dust from where it's formed. We know that. And he said, the spirit will return to God. And I've always believed that, of course, the body is interred, just as Solomon said, and then the spirit would go either to paradise or to a place of torments. It's never really called by name. It's just referred to as a place of torments, the kind of place you don't want to go. Uh, and then there would be one day uh, a resurrection of all people. Then we would... Stand before Christ in the judgment, 2 Corinthians 5 and 10. And from that point, we would go on to either heaven or hell. Uh, those who are saved would go, of course, to heaven. Those who are condemned uh, would go to hell. Uh, this is what uh, you've been familiar with, at least what you've heard from me. Uh, 
it's not ever easy to admit you're wrong, uh, but I'd rather be right than proud, so uh, let me show you what I think the Bible actually teaches. Uh, Paradise and Torment is actually located in heaven and hell. The Hadean world is anything out of the body. It's what can't be seen by the naked eye. Heaven and hell could be referred to as the Hadean realm because it's the place where that is unseen to us. So that would be correct terminology. Now suppose paradise is in heaven and torment, of course, is in hell. That would suggest uh, Hades, of course, being the arena of disembodied spirits, but that would suggest that when a person dies, the spirit goes into the Hadean realm and the body, of course, is planted uh, in the earth, returns to the earth and dust as it was. What would happen is that when a person dies, they would leave their body and the redeemed would go to heaven or paradise and the condemned would go to torment or hell. I've always thought that when a person said that somebody died, they went to heaven, I always thought that was incorrect terminology. Well, I'll never say that again because uh, it's not. It's not incorrect terminology. As a matter of fact, it's what the Bible does teach. Uh, the last day when that occurs, we know that Jesus with the saints, very important, Jesus with the saints are going to come back on the last day and there's going to be a resurrection. Now, Paul teaches us that in the resurrection, the body of the departed saints is going to be raised from the dead first and the saints will now occupy a new body, a spiritual body, a body that will last forever, that will never be feeble, never get sick or any of that stuff. And then there's going to be a, a, the general resurrection. Of course, the saints will rise first uh, after the departed saints, and then the saints will rise from the dead, and those who are living will be changed. All people will appear before the Christ in the judgment, and then they will go either to heaven or hell after the judgment. The saved, those who were dead previously, they're going back to where they've always always been, if my belief is correct. Now, if you disagree with me, that's fine. It won't make me angry because uh, I had to spend some time mulling this over before I ever came to this conclusion. And I know it's weird for our brotherhood to believe like this, but uh, I do believe it, so I'm going to teach it. Let's, uh, let's see what happens, uh, what the Bible teaches about these matters. Stephen and Jesus, okay? We know uh, Stephen was being stoned to death. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Stephen was given the opportunity to look into heaven. We know that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. But on this particular occasion, the Lord was standing up. His disciple is being murdered for his faith in him. And the Lord is not sitting now. He's on his feet as though he was cheering on Stephen, okay? I'm not saying he was, but it's as though he was encouraging him to be faithful. And Stephen was afforded the opportunity to look into heaven and to see the Lord standing and he said, Lord Jesus, 
receive my spirit. Stephen anticipated going to Jesus. He could have been right or wrong. But that's what he thought. That's what he anticipated, is that he would go and be where Jesus was. Jesus, hanging on the cross, cried out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus believed that when he died, he was going to go back to where the Father is. I commit my spirit into your hands. Now, there are some things that would seem to contradict this. I probably won't have time to get into it today, uh, but if you query me enough, uh, we will get into it later. There are three popular contradictions to this that I'm teaching, but uh, I think I can explain all three of them. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. As Paul waited in a Roman prison, he, had a he said he had a desire to depart and to be with Christ. He had a desire to leave, to die, exit his body so he could be with Christ. He said when he, what he expected was is that death, he would be with Christ. Where is Christ? He's seated at the right hand of God. He believed that he would be with Christ when he was no longer in his body. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, that which was read just a moment ago, he said to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. When a person is no longer in their body, they are now in the presence of Christ. Again, where is Christ? Christ is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. Paul believed it does appear that when he exited his body, he would be with Christ. This is what he longed for. This is what he desired, that he would exit his body and be with the Lord. At the time of the resurrection, we're taught in 1 Thessalonians 4, 14, 16, and 17, uh, Paul's talking to uh, uh, the Thessalonians. They're concerned about uh, their, their dead family members. They were Christians. They were anticipating the return of Christ, and they, they thought that Christ would come back during their lifetimes. But some of their loved ones have died, and they're, they're fearful that now they're going to miss Christ's return because they're dead. Uh, they had been taught certain things, but they didn't have a clearer understanding of what was going to take place at death. They didn't understand how the dead would be raised from the dead and would be joined to Christ along with them. And Paul's discussing this matter. He's explaining it to them that they can trust that the dead are going to be raised from the dead. He said, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Well, where were those people? That would be our, our loved ones, our brothers and sisters in Christ. They're going to come with God when he comes back to bring all things created to an end. Where were they? The Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
That's those who have come with God. Their bodies, first of all, are going to be raised and they're going to be reunited with those bodies. That's the first thing that'll happen in the resurrection. The body will come up from the grave and once again that person will inhabit their resurrected body, their new body. Then, Paul said, after those have been raised from the dead, he adds in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, he said, we shall not all sleep, we shall not all die, but we shall be changed, those who are living. After the dead are raised from the dead, the living will be changed, for this mortal body must put on immortality. The body will be changed, and it's going to be in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the time of the judgment. So we know that the first to be raised from the dead are going to be those who were previously dead, those who came with the Lord Jesus to bring the world to an end. I used to think there were angels that came with him, and there may have been some, but the major portion of that group is going to be dead saints who have been now resurrected. Then we who are alive and remain, we too shall be caught up like the dead were. We shall be caught up together with them, that is the Lord and the dead saints. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord there in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. The emphasis of what I've been reading so far is that when a person dies, their spirit goes to be with Jesus, goes to be with God. Where is that? Is it a place independent of heaven? Or the more logical answer would be, is it heaven itself? Paul said he wanted to be, he believed the Lord would bring him safely into his heavenly kingdom. That's where Paul expected to go, into the heavenly kingdom. He's in the kingdom on the earth, and he expected to be brought into his heavenly kingdom, which is where? In heaven, where Christ the King is. George W. Knight says, it appears that Paul is saying that when he dies, he will be brought safely into that heavenly kingdom and remain in it from then on. That's what it appears to me as well. He would be going into the heavenly kingdom to be with Jesus. At, uh, during the vision that John the Apostle had on the Isle of Patmos, uh, he was given the opportunity, the privilege, to look into heaven and to see the workings that were in place in heaven. In Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, when the Lord opened the fifth seal, John writes, I saw under the altar, the altar is uh, it's representative of where the sacrifices were made for the sins of humanity. 
I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. With regard to the altar, the, it's described as being in heaven. Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 and 5. Chapter 11, verse 1 and 19. Chapter 14, verses 15 and 18. The altar is located in heaven. I saw under the altar, which was in heaven, I saw the souls of those who had been slain. Now when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Okay, he's once again peering into heaven. The seventh seal, the final seal, this is the seal that reveals the destruction of the Roman Empire. When he opened the, the seventh seal, he ripped it back. There was silence, a hush. It's like in a movie. You know, in a movie, uh, a lot of action, a lot of activity uh, in a cop movie or whatever, and the, the, the music's making all kinds of noise, and the guys are running, they're shooting, and yada, yada, yada. And when it comes down to that moment, just before the hero is going to take out the bad guy, everything goes quiet. There's a hush, hush. What happens during the hush? Anticipation builds up. Who's going to get hurt, the cop or the bad guy? And we, we sit there and we wait. There's a pause, if you will, in the thought of the movie. And we get excited about what's going to be revealed to us. I saw seven angels then who stand before God and to them were given seven trumpets. They stand, these angels stand before God, God who is in heaven. There are seven angels that constantly stand before God in heaven. Another angel, he had a golden censer. He came and stood at the altar. You see, the altar is there before God. There's the altar, there's the angels, there's God in heaven. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints. These are the saints on earth who are praying to God. Sweet aroma to God when his people pray to him. And the saints were, they were praying for deliverance. Free us from this Roman bondage. Stop the persecution we're having to endure. They were, oh, they suffered horribly during the first three centuries. It was just awful what Christians had to go through. They were praying to God, and God heard the incense were offered at the altar, their prayers, that is. It was upon the golden altar, which was before the throne of God. Okay. Now, I've highlighted certain words to help us keep our thoughts together. God is in heaven on his throne, and before him there is an altar. Okay. Now let's go back to Revelations uh, 6, 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, which is in heaven, before the throne of God. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. These were uh, Christian people, those who had been uh, put to death during the beginning of Christianity because of their belief in Jesus. 
Notice the, the language. They had been slain and they were martyred for the word of God, for the testimony which they held, which they preached. They refused to deny that Jesus was the Christ. And because of that, they were put to death in awful, just awful ways. These were the saints, the disembodied saints, or as Paul would say, the dead in Christ. Where were they? They were under the altar, which is in heaven, which is before God. They cried with a loud voice, saying unto God, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? You'll notice here that there were souls in heaven and souls on the earth at the same time. So that could be right now. Okay? It was in the third century, or a little later, uh, it was at that time that this was taking place, but the ideal is that Christians who were deceased were found in heaven under the altar and before God. On the earth, business as usual. It's like it is when a person passes away. We pay our final respects to them and we return to business as usual. We have no other choice. That's something we have to do. And that's what was going on in this scene that was shown to us in the book of Revelation. The third heaven is also referred to as paradise. I thought paradise and heaven were d distinct. Well, when you get to analyzing things a little closer, that's not the case. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 through 4, Paul said, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether he was in his body, he's talking about himself, whether I was in my body or whether out of the body, I don't know. I have no idea uh, exactly what was taking place. But God knows what was taking place. Such a one, I was called up, he's doing this because of modesty. I was called up to the third heaven. The Jews had uh, three heavens in mind. The first heaven was here, the air we breathe. The second heaven is considered deep space where the stars are. The third heaven is where God resides. So when reference is made to the third heaven, that's what we refer to as heaven, God's home. So he said, I was caught up to the third heaven to be with God. He was to have an interview. He was going to somehow be given uh, a revelation of the ministry of the Christ as well as his crucifixion and his resurrection. It was imperative that an apostle be a witness of the resurrection of Christ. Paul was not. The Lord wanted him to be an apostle. So he lifted him up to heaven itself and he enabled him to see exactly what took place, thus qualifying him for the apostleship. I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. 
He says he was caught up to the third heaven, the place where God dwells. He says he was caught up to paradise. It's obviously that paradise seems to be another term used to designate heaven. Heaven is called heaven. It's also called a paradise because it conjures up images in our mind of a place of comfort, relaxation, joy, happiness, things of that nature. But the point I want to point out here, and there are other places, but I don't want to get into all that stuff now. Uh, Third heaven and paradise, these terms are used uh, synonymously. That's undeniable. Therefore, I think this view that uh, paradise and torment is another name for heaven and hell, and hell, as we just saw, Jesus and the saints will come back. <clears throat> there will be the general resurrection. All people will be for the Christ at judgment. And from there, the saved and the condemned will return to either heaven or hell, uh, paradise or torment, a place of torment, which is descriptive of hell. There will be the redeemed that reside with God, and there will be the rest who, for all practical purposes, are just going to be forgotten. I don't mean to say that they're not going to exist. They shall. But they're going to be forgotten. It's as though they never existed in the first place. Uh, this is our destiny. I, I don't want to go to hell. Will the departed saved be with Jesus? Again, Revelations 2, 7, 22, 1, 2, 3. The tree of life is in the paradise of God, John said. The tree of life is where the throne of God and the Lamb are. That's where the tree of life is found. <clears throat> okay, that's done. I'm through with that. Second question I was asked, is it possible to communicate with the dead? <clears throat> In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 5 and 6, uh, this is a a very misunderstood passage by a lot of folks. Uh, uh, Solomon said, the living know that they will die. True, we do. <clears throat> but the dead know nothing. They have no reward. The memory of them is forgotten. That's what I was talking about a moment ago. Not non-existent, just out of the mind of God. The living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. Uh, some people use this passage to teach that people who die are no longer conscious. Uh, the belief is that when we die, we are buried in the earth, body and spirit are buried in the earth, but we're not conscious. It's as though we were asleep. We have no idea of what's going on. And I guarantee you, anybody that postures that argument, they're going to quote Ecclesiastes 9 and 5 because Solomon said the dead know nothing. Well, if that's all Solomon said, that would be true. But that wasn't all that Solomon said. In verse 6 he goes on, also their love, their hatred, their envy have now perished. 
obviously he's talking about the same group of people, nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. See, Solomon qualified the ignorance of the death. The dead know nothing that is done under the sun. This is what he's saying. It's not that they don't know anything at all. They know everything about their self and about others. Their memory's intact. They still have their personality. Nothing changes. Nothing ceases at death. The soul just exits the body. But what Solomon is saying, now that the soul has exited the body, the deceased, they don't know what we're doing. They know nothing that is done under the sun. The idea, and I know, I know it gives people comfort, but it's not correct. I believe daddy's looking down on me. Mama's smiling right now. They don't know anything that we're doing. They can't see us. Uh, they know us, they remember us, but they can't watch us now because they're no longer in this realm. Now they're in the Hadean realm. It's a completely different realm. And they have no ability to see what we're doing in the earth. And this is what Solomon is teaching. In Isaiah chapter 63 and verse 16, uh, Isaiah postures the Israelites saying, uh, doubtless to God, Doubtless you are our father, our father in heaven. Though Abraham was ignorant of us. Whoa, what does that mean? Abraham had lived probably 1,400 1, years before the time of this particular setting. And Isaiah's uh, saying, you are our father, God. Abraham he was the father of the clan. He was the one uh, who, with whom God made a promise that he would give him a kingdom. Uh, his descendants would be like the stars of the heaven, the sand of the seashore. Abraham, the great patriarch, was everything to the Israelite people. But Isaiah is pointing out a very clear fact Though they claimed Abraham as their father, though they de were devoted to Abraham because he was their father, Abraham, he don't know us. My great-grandfather doesn't know me. I know him. Uh, I know of him. His name was John Mayberry. But he don't know me. He was gone before I was born. And because he's in a place where the dead know nothing, he doesn't know I exist. I know he did, but he doesn't know I do, okay? And that's what Isaiah is pointing out. God, we love you, though Abraham was ignorant of us. And Israel, he doesn't even acknowledge us. He doesn't know who we are. He's, that's Jacob, whom the tribe of Israel was named after. Uh, he doesn't know us, the people, now. Uh, we were born long after he was deceased. 
and he has no knowledge of what's going on at this time frame. But you, oh Lord, you are our father. You are our first allegiance. Yes, we admire Abraham. We admire Jacob. But you, God, you know us. And we acknowledge you first and foremost. You are our redeemer from everlasting is your name. The, the story of the rich man and the beggar. The rich man asked for someone to go and warn his brothers of this place of torments. He was there. He was stuck there. He was going to be there forever, and he knew it. But he had some brothers still alive in the world, and he wanted Abraham to send somebody back to, to save his brothers. He said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he might testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Please send them back. Give the living a message from me. And Abraham said, Son, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear Moses and the prophets, because they won't hear from you. There will be no messengers sent on your behalf. I know it's comforting, but it's not correct. That's not what happens when the deceased are gone. They don't know us, but we know them. They have a memory of us, but they can't see us. In Leviticus 19.31, take notice of the law of Moses. Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits, fortune tellers, I forgot what you call them all, wizards, witches, whatever they are, that are able to tell the future and communicate with the dead. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord, your God. Don't waste your time with people who can't communicate the future and cannot speak to the dead. You know, I've seen this thing on TV where you could call a number and this person would speak to your dead mother or father or whatever. I think it costs five bucks a minute. It's a very lucrative business, but the bottom line is that witch can't do that. She can't talk to the dead any more than you can. If anybody was going to talk to your mama, I'm sure it would be you. But not even you can do that. Surely not a witch or a wizard. The person who turns to mediums, that's the same thing, and familiar spirits, to prostitute himself with them, to go to them looking for this information. God said, I will set my face against you and I will cut you off from your people. A man or a woman who is a medium or who has familiar spirits, those who say they communicate with the dead, they shall surely be put to death. He's talking, of course, at that time in the literal sense, but also in the figurative sense. They will be put to death at the judgment. They shall stone them with stones, their blood shall be upon them. The Israelites were supposed to put such people to death who claimed to speak to the dead. Now, this was the law of Moses, but we know that people continued to speak to people about the dead. Tell me about my mama. What does she have to say? What advice does she give me? 
they existed then as well. Saul, the king of Israel, he used mediums to find out things he wanted to know. They're all frauds. None of it's true. Better off to save your $5 a minute because it's not going to give you a return on your investment. Is it possible to communicate with the dead? The obvious answer is no, it's not. Uh, there's much more on the matter, but I think I've made the point. So uh, I got to quit. My leg's trim trembling. It's time for me to sit down. Uh, life is very brief. We all know it. We know we're going to die. We just don't know when we're going to die. People all the time die so unexpectedly and it just breaks all hearts but it could be us it could be us when I die the only thing I'm going to care about is what does God think about me that's what I'm going to be concerned with I'll find out very quickly because when I step out of this body I will step into eternity and I'll know my fate right off the bat I don't have to wait for a day of judgment the moment I die, I will know my fate, whether God loves me or whether God is going to cast me away. That will be my fate forever. It will not change. Whether it's a reward or punishment, it will not change. The only time we have time to change is now while we're still alive. It's wise to look into your heart. It's wise to find God so you can believe him and believe in him because he's our salvation. He's our savior. He can save us from an Evitable lake of fire. I've watched so many people die the wrong way, and it breaks my heart. I tried and tried and tried to no avail. I don't try anymore. Because repentance is no longer possible. If you look in your heart, if you're not ready to meet God right now, I would advise you from the very bottom of my heart, with as much as I have faith, that you would learn to believe God, that you would come to him, Receive him as your, as your savior. And you can be granted eternal life. It's like a man on death row receiving a presidential pardon or the pardon from the governor and at the last moment being set free. There's no good reason to lose your soul. No, there's not one. And if you don't know it now, you will know it when you die.
but you won't be able to do anything about it. We've got to be honest with ourselves. We've got to tell ourselves the truth. When we're wrong, we have to admit it. As Christians, we know, we know whether our relationship with the Lord is good or not good. 